words. We use them every single day. We use some of them to define ourselves and to define others. But how often do we question those definitions? Where they come from? Why we chose them? How often do we let those definitions grow and change? How often do they still fit where we are and who we are today? Welcome to The Grit Show, Growth on Purpose. I'm glad you found us. I'm Shauna Rodriguez, a fellow seeker who is honored to be leading you on today's journey as part of this community growing together, learning, and thriving. I hope you stick around to the end of today's show. We get to learn about who our winners are from the Color My Summer giveaway. Now, before I get to telling you more about our wonderful guest, you may have noticed there's a little something different about my voice today. I have one of those fabulous summer colds that, along with exhaustion and congestion, brings with it a touch of laryngitis. It has lingered over a week now, and while I postponed recording more interviews, unfortunately, we are down to the 11th hour of finishing this episode, so here I am. Because of this, y'all get to learn a few extra things about me and the making of a podcast. First, just like you, I am constantly evaluating priorities. And while I definitely will be resting when I get home from recording this, I will work from home as little as possible again tomorrow. Being consistent for you in these episodes meant that I'm doing this today. I still support self-care and your self-care, which is why I have not been recording all week. However, I am up to being able to be here today. Otherwise, we would not be having this episode tomorrow. So I continue to support self-care. I support you taking care of yourself. And I also recognize that priorities are such that you balance things. So my priority was to be able to be here for you. And my health is in a place that I could afford for that today and feel good about it. Secondly, the episodes don't get recorded all at once. Hopefully, at least one of you is surprised by this because I work very hard to make it sound like they are. (laughs) So if you were surprised, please send me a DM on Instagram and tell me you were surprised because it'll make me feel better about how hard I work on editing if you did not realize that there are different recordings that are put together to make one episode. Today, the difference in my voice will make it very clear which parts were recorded on which days. So I am very grateful for your patience, and I really hope that it doesn't distract too much from your experience. Now, let me tell you a little about Belle Lockerbie, whom we are very lucky to be conversing with today. Having coached over 1,000 humans from all walks of life, Belle lives and breathes change. She knows we can repurpose our past using a shield of humor and a sword of honesty to become lovers and fighters for our own lives. She believes how we speak to each other and ourselves can really impact how we can overcome adversity and wedgies from life. A TEDx speaker and author, Belle encourages everyone to be brave enough to be themselves, awkward enough to try the uncomfortable things, and kind enough to become the safest space for others doing the same. Her second book, The Words the Caterpillar Ate, looks at the words we've eaten and how we can reconstruct new definitions to support our future selves. It's on pre-sale now, it will be released on the 22nd of November in 2022, 11-22-22. Welcome to the show, Belle. Thank you. It's so awesome to be here. Thank you for having me, Shauna. Yes, I'm glad you made it. And you are coming to us all the way from sunny Australia. Correct. On the West Coast in Perth. <laughs> <laughs> for Belle, it is first thing in the morning. For me, it is 
the net wait it's the next day or the day before for me. I get confused. The day before. <laughs> the day yeah. before. So I'm, I'm Wednesday, you're Tuesday. You're living the future, Belle. <laughs> I am. I am. Is it going to be a good day? It's going to be an awesome day. So you have nothing to worry about. She's already got good things <laughs> in store for us. We're going to join you in tomorrow, Belle. You've got beautiful things waiting for us. So I'm excited because there's a variety of things that Belle has to share with us today. And it's going to be hard to keep this episode to a reasonable length because there's a lot of things for us to chat about. Belle has actually written two books, The Words of the Caterpillar 8, which is coming out in November. And she also wrote another book. Awkward is the New Brave. It's really about when life does throw you curveballs that you kind of get back up anyway, because we're going to get knocked over every so often. So it's finding that courage to get up and not necessarily do the same thing again, but do it differently so that you can really find your joy in life and to not be held back by your past. That is brilliant. And here on The Great Show, that is definitely something we connect with. So tell us a little bit about how you came to your path of writing these books. Yeah, sure. My very earliest memory, which is weird, of receiving an award in school was for creative writing. And my dad bless his socks, had this little merit certificate fairly plastered inside our Mission Brown cabinet <laughs> in the kitchen. And it stayed there for years, right? Aww. So I used to look at this every so often and think, oh, I'm going to be a writer. And I do all this kind of creative stuff. And then you get to like your senior years in high school and the conversations from people become, oh, no, 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 like writers don't make any money. Don't pursue that. It's like, it's really not the thing. You should do computing, man. Like you should do business and all these other things. And I'd flip between wanting to write and to be a, a flight attendant so I could travel and see the world. It's like, why become the flight attendant when you can be the pilot? And it's <laughs> I don't like physics. That's why I like talking to people and I love languages and diversity, but I don't want to look at instruments. But I think <laughs> when you're young and impressionable, you take those words from other people and you assume that they know better than you do. And you, you want to take on their advice and do the right things and follow, you know, a career path or whatever it is that might give you a certain definition of security and success. So I set my writing dreams on hold for a while and it was always kind of sitting there like in, on the back burners around, like, I really want to write and see if I can do this as something. And people would say to me, you should really write about what's happened in your life. You write beautifully, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And then I actually decided, you know what, I'm going to do it. I don't, I don't want to not write this book. Um so the the name originally started out as Awkward It's a New Black and Linda, my publishing consultant, I talked to her about that maybe five years before the book got written. So mm-hmm. um, I know, Shauna, before we, we started the show, you were sharing your story around how you had the grit show sitting there for a while. So sometimes those ideas can just be sitting there, I think, as like this feed. They haven't quite germinated yet, but you've got them sitting there in the background, right? Mm-hmm. So eventually when I figured out the title of what I wanted to write. I rang Linda and I'm like, this is what it's going to be. And I'll write it about all of the experiences that I've had in my life and how to kind of, you know, overcome them. And um, she's gone, great. So then it became that permission to write, like my first draft was really shitty. (laughs) If I'm being honest, I gave permission to write a shitty first draft, but that first draft was terrible. I had, I think, 26 pages of feedback from my editor. I really didn't know what things were going to look like first. 
So I think sometimes when you get that feedback, it can work out. Or do you take it all to heart and say, oh, actually, I shouldn't have done this. I'm no good at it. Or do you take what someone has said on and go, okay, well, let's look at how I can improve things now. So it took me another six months after that to work through it and put everything that she had set into place. And it was almost like writing a book again. Mm-hmm. But the next time the structural edit came through, there were like two pages. <laughs> and I've gone, like, where's the rest? And she's gone, no, you did a really good job. It's amazing. There's not too many changes at all. You've done so well. There's only those little tweaks. And I'm like, are you sure? And she's gone, yeah, it's awesome. Like, you've, you've done great. So I then implemented those changes and the book came to life, which was wonderful. And um, I think what happened after people started reading it is like even if they were just from my local coffee shop sometimes the questions would come up that like I had no idea that was the kind of life you had you seem so happy all the time like I would never have guessed that and that's a really big lesson I think is sometimes we can assume that everything is all you know rainbows and sunshine for people but we actually don't know about the storms that have sat behind in, in their past we actually don't see everything that someone has been through So it was a really nice lesson in being conscious of asking people questions to see who they are as opposed to assuming what they've got. So it was really good. And then the second book is more of a personal development book, this one, and it's really focused on those lessons around the words that we do eat from people who give us advice over life and and what we do and how you can start to reshape them to create a, a new definition and you know, evolve your purpose if you need to so that it suits who you are growing into as opposed to thinking that you have to be stuck in the past. Yes. And it sounds like a lot of your life has been being open to that next step and that changing, that evolving and presenting of where you're at and what's in front of you and becoming who you're meant to be in that place. Yeah. So from from your new book, it sounds like you have a TEDx talk that's going to be yeah. available soon, hopefully, with that. Yeah. And the book coming out in November. What are some of the highlights you feel from the book or takeaways from it? The book is very connected to the TEDx. It, there was like part of the reason for doing this book. So when I told Linda, who helped me with the technical setup side of the book and everything, <laughs> she'd gone... Oh, if you got accepted to do a TEDx, now you need to write that second book. And I've gone, oh, (laughs) okay, (laughs) which has been a a pretty big process. But I think the big lessons are the TEDx is called Is Your Dictionary Dead? And it really is around looking at, so imagine if you collected up a a heap of labels that people had placed on you, whether it's around definitions of beauty or success or education or even who you are based on where you live in the world, right? So what would happen if you collected up all of these things and then started to lay them out and have a look at who you really are? Are these definitions accurate or have they just been placed on you by someone else and you've chosen to kind of go, well, they've said it, so it must be true, but what if it's not? So what if you start to edit it and create a new definition, so I went on this little journey of having a look at how even dictionaries were created, right? Mm. So there's a guy called Samuel Johnson who created one of the first dictionaries in the world called Johnson's Dictionary. And it just goes to show when you read some really simple words in there that it's his view of the world that was kind of given to, this is what that word means because I've decided what it means. 
Whereas when the British branched out to the Americas and they tried to sell this concept of this dictionary, right, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which ended up, I think, for in America, the Merriam-Webster dictionary is one of the ones that's referred to most. So mm-hmm. Merriam and Webster had kind of replied to Johnson and said, no, no, we are, we have our own words now. Like we're going to run our own definitions of our own words. <laughs> and they basically went on their own journey and formulated their own version of things. Now, you know, there's plenty of overlap for us, I think, in terms of where we are, but there's still those little differences on what things mean to us. And I think it's a really important lesson to check in that even if we have a shared value, your definition, for example, of health may be very different to mine and mm-hmm. that's okay. So it's really around, you know, checking for understanding and not so much assuming. Yes, that makes great sense. I think even people in our lives, when we share a house with somebody and we use certain words that we think we're saying something and it might be something totally different to them. Yeah, absolutely. I'm part of a blended family now. And (laughs) that was a big thing for me and my husband when we kind of came together. Like his definition of funny and my definition of funny are very different. (laughs) (laughs) um, Even when it comes down to movies, I'll like look at him and like, how can you not think this is funny? Like it's, it's, um, like Will Ferrell in Anchorman or whatever, it's like, how can you not find it funny? It's just like, I just think it's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) um, Yeah, it's just recognising that words look different for each other. Yes, and then applying that to ourselves. I love that. To be able to say we define ourselves and we define how we see ourselves and what those words mean to us and how they change throughout our lives. Yeah, that's right. And even I think in terms of communicating with other people, understanding what will land the right way, being more intentional with what we're saying as opposed to, no, it's not to say that you don't want to be your authentic self, but it's more to like be conscious of, well, if I know that this person's definition means this or that they're a little bit more geared this way, then how am I going to kind of tweak things so that communication doesn't break down? Because that's one thing I know through my career working with transformation and change is communication is one of those big meaty keys that if we get it wrong, then generally whatever we're trying to bring forward is going to struggle to get there. Yes. And intention is not enough. Your impact and intention are two different things. So you can intend one thing and it can have a different impact. So you have to be willing to understand that. Intention yeah. doesn't guarantee impact, unfortunately. <laughs> that's right. That's very true. That's very true. Very and that's true. for yourself. So as we're looking at ourselves and what we'd like to find us to understand that we can change the impact if we change we can. intention on yeah. ourselves. So <laughs> yeah. to use that to our advantage. Yeah. yeah. So facts may not always change or like the history and what's happened or circumstances that have happened may not change, but our perspectives have definitely shift. That's, you know. we can change the impact of things. Do you have some examples of ways that you've applied that to yourself with the words the caterpillar ate that you've been able to transform? Yes. Yes. I think so. A big one for me was how I defined success and my purpose. If I used success in relationships, for me, it meant longevity. So I'm like a child of divorce. My mum and dad despised each other. There was never like any time there was an event where they were both required to be present 
their hate was greater than their love for their child. So it brought up huge amounts of anxiety. So I think what happened with that definition for me around success in a relationship is I took it to mean that means longevity because I didn't really have this model of what a healthy, successful relationship looked like. So I'm like, right, it means longevity. So then with my children, I so wanted them to have that longevity to have the two parents that stayed together and it ended up being this little pendulum moving between if I'm avoiding this then I'm acquiring this other thing over here so I kind of had to work out did I want to teach them about longevity or did I want to teach them about love Mm. and because our values were very different so uh, we have a great co-parenting relationship which I'm extremely proud of but because we had different definitions around say socialization and family time and quality time and everything eventually that relationship did not work because someone was sacrificing the other person basically so I had to redefine that and that was really hard to do to kind of let go of that old definition and say actually I don't want to teach my children about longevity Mm -hmm. if it does not include love So I wanted them to know what love looks like. I didn't want them to experience an environment where love just wasn't present. So things had to shift. Yeah. And that was was a really big thing. So that was probably the first word that I started redefining. And I remember lying on the edge of my bed and being in tears and saying, what would Liz Gilbert do? Because I'd read Eat, Pray, Love and seen her go through this thing. And then I had to kind of go, no, no, no. What are you like? What are you going to do? Yeah. Liz Gilbert didn't have children or anything like that. She's yeah. Australian. So <laughs> her life is so different to yours. Like, what are you going to do? And I had to work through creating those new definitions and work at what co parenting would look like in a healthy way because I knew hand on heart that my kids were going to have two parents turn up who would be civil to each other and that the love for the kids would still be greater. So that's one way I started kind of redefining success. And then I applied that to my career and how did that look? And and then eventually in business, we're like, I love helping women thrive and find their voice and their value. And I did group coaching for a very long time with the startup space. But I think sometimes when you get to the end of your own growth cycle in something, it's about Mm -hmm. learning how to let that go and go, okay, so what do I need this to look like now? Like I still have a heart for women. I still want to help women with their own stories or their own purpose and their own voices, but it just needs to look different for this next stage of my life. And that's okay. Yeah. I think when you do create those identity shifts, though, some people aren't ready for your change. They still want you to be the caterpillar. Like, Uh no, no, don't go into the chrysalis. I don't want you to turn out like a butterfly because then, like, I won't know what you're saying anymore. (laughs) Be prepared that not everyone can come with you as you evolve yourself. And sometimes that's hard. That's very hard. I think it's one of the fears people have with doing that is who they'll lose and what they'll lose along the way. I have found that the people who stay with you will always stay with you. So you'll never lose anyone that you're not meant to lose. Very well said. Certain people fit in certain environments. And when you're ready to leave that environment, it's okay that they're still in that environment because that's not where you're meant to be. That's right. And there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just that you're growing at different rates. And that's okay. Very positive. Yeah. Yeah. From your first book to this book, do you feel like you're writing and you've changed a lot between the two stages in the two books? Yes. 
definitely. So that the process that I went through for the first book and the second book, because the first book is a memoir and the second book is personal development. So how to write a slightly different style, which I think is amazing. I take my skills on the book marketing side and anything from business and apply it to both books. So that part's easy for me, mm-hmm. right, in terms of how to do outreach and, and lift it up a little bit. The second book has been intense. It was written in like six weeks compared to, say, 18 months. Yeah. But I like that. So I know that about myself. I love a deadline. I like that little bit of creative pressure to get things going. I love sitting there on a Wednesday morning in Australia and waiting for the email to come through from my editor saying, here's the feedback. Like, <laughs> it probably speaks to the inner child who's like looking for the results of things. Go, okay, how do I make it better? What else can I do? So I get really excited about that and it's awesome. And then I'll take a break so that this book gets time to have its own voice before I start working on the next one and the next one. And then it's, you know, the, the little the little dance between clients and children and life and making sure that there is joy there and that you, you get the opportunity to live, yeah. which is really important. Yes, and the opportunity to live definitely connects back to your first book. And as much as it yeah. was a memoir, there's this really strong message that has come out of it. And for those of you that have listened to that episode on bucket lists, there's a similarity that Belle and I were able to discuss earlier about this philosophy about seizing things and stepping into life and really living it. And she has a beautiful formula that has come out of her first book and her experience that came with that. Can you speak a little more to that formula and how the book kind of leads yeah. into that? Yeah, sure. As I wanted to, I guess, redefine what brave meant to me, right? So I would say that I'm quite brave in business. So whether it was in my corporate life and speaking up where I was like the only female leader in a room at a time when there were not many female leaders in a room at all, mm-hmm. through to having challenging conversations, I'd always been what I would term like business brave. So okay with taking risks financially, okay with launching and failing at things and getting back up and knowing that it's part of the process. And I think part of that conditioning about being this strong woman meant that I was worried that I didn't know how to be vulnerable anymore. So I'd had this conversation with one of the girls I was mentoring, her name's Amanda, and she'd said, how am I supposed to be me, right? <laughs> and I, Bren- I Brene browned her butt in this conversation. I said, there's great strength in choosing vulnerability. And inside, I kind of cringe because it's like, well, actually, you're not doing that in all areas of your own life. Like, you are mm-hmm. so full of it right now. Like, yes, you've just cheered someone else on. But if you're going to say those things, you've got to own your truth. Yeah. So I called myself out on it, really. And it was like, okay, well, now you've got to walk your talk because I don't want to say things and not be those things so the formula that I started going through was was mapping out a little bit on this year of being brave right so if I wanted to redefine it and look at it differently what were all the things that I wanted to do and one of them meant being vulnerable and reaching out to a friend and asking them for help as I was working through a few things and at that point in my life it was venturing back out into date land, which mm-hmm. like the last time I had been on a date, but like Facebook and Google didn't exist. So it was a very long time ago <laughs> and the world was completely different. So it was scary to do. And that kind of came further down the list. But I had a list of, I guess, the 
fears that I wanted to start addressing and dealing with and overcoming and these big questions that I had that I wanted to look at. So the way that I would kind of structure that is to start with, and I think with anything, right, so any skill that you're looking at, is start with the easier thing first mm-hmm. and build your confidence up as you go along. Mm-hmm. So attempt those things and you tick off the, the easiest things first. So you might find your, your friend who you feel most comfortable in having a, a difficult conversation with and start with them and practice in that space first and then move on to someone else you might want to have a conversation with, for example, or move on to that activity where you may have felt a little bit body conscious for whatever reason so that you start to build up and recognise that as you go through this, so anytime we go through growth, and this is probably where the two books start to um, have crossovers, mm-hmm. it's going to be this voice that cropped up, like, and I'd call it the inner caterpillar, right, where they're like, <laughs> what are you doing? You don't have enough experience or you're too young or you're too old or you're too this or you're too that and people are going to laugh at you or, or say things and it's fear of judgment or fear of failure that starts basically raising its head and say, uh-uh, you can't do that. So then how I would approach it is to kind of acknowledge it and say, that, like, thanks for letting me know. I'm going to do it anyway and mm-hmm. just embracing it. And eventually that voice does go away because you do it so many times. So when I was learning to surf, for example, my board says beginner all over it. It's bright yellow. It's what's called a soft board. So it's less likely to do damage if it hits you in the face or something. <laughs> Whereas the more experienced surfers where I live, they have like fiberglass boards and, you know, they really look the part. <laughs> But the thing is, they don't, they don't care about what anyone else is doing. They're just doing their own thing. They don't care about like a, you know, woman who's carrying a few extra pounds and is over 40 who's going out to learn. They could not care less. It was all my own internal chit chat. So the beautiful thing I think that's happened from that is now my husband surfs, the four children between us, they have all learnt to surf and, you know, there's been this beautiful transference of, brave can now look like this which is great and it can look like courage for someone else because people get to kind of go oh well she learned how to do that so therefore I can do it too or they overcame this obstacle in their life and I relate to them so therefore I can you know I can do that too Um, and I think that's a beautiful thing that comes out as you go through that process as you become this beautiful beacon of hope for someone else. And you show yourself that you can do hard things. You can try new yeah. things and succeed. One of my things that I wanted to do is I'd never played soccer. And so mine was before I turned 30. So it was some time ago now. I wanted to play soccer. And so I went through all of these steps to make it safe for myself. I called up and I found a team and it was a practice and explained thoroughly to the guy that I've never played. I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm athletic, like I can run, I can be active, I can do this, I can try. And okay, we're good to go. So I show up for the practice. The guy who I talked to wasn't at the practice. So I'm like, okay, I'll do my best. And then another team was there and they wanted to scrimmage. And I got put with the other people. So even more removed from the safe conversations I had. <laughs> and so we're out there and I'm I'm just running hard, chasing the ball, playing soccer. And so if you're like me, you know nothing about soccer, you will understand how confused I was when somebody kept yelling at me for being offsides. Yeah. 
it's so hard to understand that rule. <laughs> yeah, I was like, um, I what what does that mean? And they're like, very funny. You know what that means? I'm like, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? They're like, stop playing like you don't know what this means. I don't know what this means. What does this mean? I don't know how to play soccer. You wouldn't be here if you don't know how to play soccer. I'm here and I don't know how to play soccer. So it was it was hilarious. And I just kept playing anyways, because again, I kept I was being honest and being real. So that was my experience of me doing it and trying to make a save but didn't work out. So instead of going back to that practice again, I joined an indoor league where that didn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> and I made a girlfriend join with me. So so yeah. sometimes, even when you're there, there are people with the fiberglass boards who will make comments at you because you don't know what you're doing and they won't help you. Yeah. But you just go join an indoor league and it'll be okay. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And I love the fact that you talked about having a friend, right? Because that was something for me when I went on this brave journey, and it's a really good point. One of the vulnerable things I did was I asked my friend to kind of come and do these things with me. And she's like, I'll come learn surf with you if you come learn how to do some stuff with me. So she decided she didn't like surfing in the end. And I also didn't like the stuff that I was doing with her. But I think that it is great to have that friend to ask to go with you while you start to get going and changing your environment and finding that safe space so that you can grow into it is really important. And the offside rule in soccer is really hard. Like my <laughs> son plays soccer. I don't understand any of it. I really don't. He's only 11. So I'll just sit there and watch them run around. And if they score a goal, that's great. But most of the time I have no idea what's going on in the game. I just cheer <laughs> him on and that's all I can do. Yes. It was one of those things that luckily at that point in time, I was not at a vulnerable point in my life. So I can handle someone just like yelling at me. And I'm like, I'm telling you, oh. I don't know what this means. And you're not explaining it to me. So I'm going to keep violating yeah. this rule at this scrimmage. It means nothing. <laughs> yes. But yeah. yeah, but I love. I love that you persevered, right? You just reminded me of the yelling part. I did hire someone to help me learn how to surf. His name's Dougie. <laughs> and <laughs> he would yell at me at certain points. He's like, Oi, girly, what are you doing? You're flopping around on your board like a wet fish. Because, <laughs> I, didn't, because I didn't know what I was doing. And he's like, get back in here. You can't be on the wave right now. <laughs> but I would just end up in fits of laughter because of... It, like he's very, I would say, very, very Australian. If you were to think of like, um, like the the old movie from the eighties, Crocodile Dundee, uh -huh. he and Mark Ruffalo kind of created someone together. <laughs> this is what this is who Dougie would be, um, just like salt of the earth, an amazing human being. But I like I would just take it on the chin and and keep practicing and and get there. And I'm still not fantastic at it, but I have a great time. I'm not a big wave surfer or anything like that. I kind of go wastewater, so that's probably my version of the indoor league, right? I'll just surf the little waves where I'm like where I feel confident and safe. I have no plans to go to Hawaii and try and do like a, a big <laughs> barrel or anything because. I'll end up on the, the news around Australian woman towed out of beach or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I got up on a, a long board in North Carolina. Uh, where was I? Off of Cape Hatteras is the one time I got up on a surfboard. And it was, and I was, yeah, it was in my 20s, I think, at the time when I did it. But I was like, okay, I got up, done. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> did it once, I'm out. Check that, that, <laughs> that box. Yeah. Check that one off. But yeah. I think the attitude yeah. you walk into it and to have that realization that 
somebody's going to yell that you're off sides and you have no clue what they're talking about or you look like a flopping fish. <laughs> you just got yeah. to roll with it, laugh off. And if it's if you don't want to go back and hear that, then it's okay to go find an indoor soccer team. Yeah, absolutely. I think that permission part around being responsible for your own evolution is really important mm-hmm. that like it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's totally okay. So yep. you try things, you figure it out. If it's not your thing, that's fine. But you don't know if you don't go. Yes. And do the things you want to do. I have a dear friend of yeah. mine who we, it was my brother's birthday. It's been five, 10 years ago now. And we went to this lake with a bunch of people and they were jumping off this really high bridge and she really wanted to go. And she was chiding me a little bit because I'm like, ah, I'm not interested. And I was like, you know, 10 years ago, that would have made me like, oh, I have to do it because I got to prove to yeah. you that I got to do it. But guess yeah. what? I'm to the point, I don't care. <laughs> like, That's right. I don't have yeah. to do it just to prove I could have done it. So now I can be like, ah, eh, I have no desire to jump off a bridge. That's very true. That's really important to realize that something that belongs in one period of your life, it doesn't have to stay there forever. That's that big commission to create something new. Even yeah. if it is around your purpose, like if your purpose is to teach people how to cook on a budget, right? Um, you might do that at one point in your life by running workshops. You might do it at another point in your life by writing a book. You might do it at another point by creating a blog. You don't have to just do it a certain way forever. Allowing yourself to evolve and, and look at, you know, what are those threads through your life that you love? I would say kind of like those love values as opposed to like the truth side of things. So how they work together. And for me, adventure is one of those. I was like that kid who would climb trees and, you know, check to see if the <laughs> the edge of the lake was made of quicksand or not and run over and stick my feet in it and then freak out and run home. I was <laughs> that kid. And same as like the things that I could do physically in my 20s, I'm noticing that I might still feel like I'm 26 on the inside someday, but my body goes like, girlfriend, you are, you are not 26 anymore. <laughs> We need, a, we need a definition that works now. You can still have adventure, just don't kill yourself in the process. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. And be able to embrace and still get as much out of where you're at right now and what yeah. that means to you right now. Yeah, absolutely. I've enjoyed this conversation very much. Me too. So one thing that we always chat with our guests about is self-care. So what are some of the things that you do to take care of yourself, Belle? Oh, Okay. Well, I do love writing in a very big way. I use a little app every day called 750 Words. So for me, it's a nice way to almost do stream of conscious writing. It doesn't really have to make any sense to anyone. It doesn't publish a content anywhere. No one gets to see it. But what happens is it does give you feedback, right? So it analyzes your words and it will pick up like almost a word cloud and tell you whether you've been writing or introvert or extrovert the types of feelings that have come out in your writing. So whether it's like anger, overwhelm, love, joy, and then the topics that you write about, right? So for me, that's one of my self-care practices because when I first started using it, I'd had a bit of a rant about (laughs) something. And then as I scrolled down to see the analytics, it's like anger (laughs) and like a a pretty like, oh, I don't want to start my days feeling like this. I'm like, I'm going to be more intentional now. So then being conscious of 
what I'm grateful for, which is how I tend to write a lot of the day, even if it's bucketing with rain because it's our winter here right now, finding the good things is one of those ways that I look after self-care probably from a, a mental perspective. And then physically, I would say definitely getting out to go for a surf. I go for a hike when I can't go for a surf and spend time with my family and, and pe- people who I can give in to, but there's a, there's that also giving and receiving. So it's not just a one-way street, right? I think that's mm-hmm. that's really important to look at the people that you have in your life. So there's some practical little things. I um, like it. I'm someone who has never really required an alarm. I'm always up at 5am. It just happens every day. <laughs> my body has just set itself that way. That's when I'm awake. So I love seeing the sunrise. It's something I try and do, you know, most days just to get out and see the sunrise. So little things like that I think can be really helpful. And then filling your spaces with things that give you the right kind of energy. So for me it might be music or good food or even a candle or something like that from a change perspective we can experience almost like sensory overwhelm if, if there's too much going on mm-hmm. in our environment. So it's around calming that nervous centre down and, and you know, there are certain spaces where I do want them to feel really energised and full of life and everything and then there's others where I just want it to be super calm, wind down, go to sleep nice and easily, can't hear all the kids in the background. <laughs> <laughs> So it's important to, you know, just find those little things. What about you? What do you love to do? Ooh, you're the first person that asked me that. That's very fun. So what do I like to do for self-care? I love talking. Probably why I have a podcast. (laughs) So I love having like deep, engaging conversations. My preference is to have them walking along a beach or sitting around a campfire. So like environment is a place where I find my zen, my space where you can just kind of relax and breathe. And so to have people in my life that I really connect with and I can enjoy talking and just being with. So quality time is one of my love languages as well. Yeah. Kind of all kind of comes together. But a lot of times when I get off work, my sweetheart often cooks dinner for me. And we, this time of year, because it's summer out here on the west coast of the U.S. And so we sit outside on our porch and we have dinner in the evenings. And so that is my quality time with him. I'm just visiting and looking out. We have the flowers and bushes and just watching people walking by. Because we live on a quiet street with some nice foot traffic. And just having that quiet time is my regular ritual of self-care that I get most frequently. Yes. And then gratitude is something I'm very big on. And so that's my little check-in when I start to feel like I'm getting overwhelmed of stopping to take stock of things that I'm grateful for and doing that and then taking walks. So those are probably my my big self-care. And then coloring, which I finally did the other night. I took some time to color. But that's one of the things that the Gret Show we have is we have a series of coloring books. We have our first one done, which is... Vintage Mermaid and Magnificent Ocean. And we're working on our second one, which is going to be You've Got This, which is inspirational quotes. And you, as one of our guests, we actually get send you a copy of them. So would you like the mermaid one? Or as soon as we get it done, would you like the quotes? I do love a mermaid. I used to, like, I was convinced when I was little I could be a mermaid. So I used (laughs) to practice, like, talking underwater and everything. (laughs) I love it, talking underwater. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I did. I did. I would practice. No one could ever understand a single thing I said underwater, though. So that one kind of got shelved. But yeah, <laughs> love mermaids. I would. So, I never would have thought about that being the hallmark sign of being a mermaid is being able to talk underwater. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And so for our audience, as we close, we like to give them some concrete next steps that they can take. So if we think about the words caterpillar eight and some of the next steps that they can take to examine some of the words and how they're defining them. Do you have some specific steps can take yes, to do that? I do. So inside the book, there's like a little process that you can actually go through to really examine who fed them to you, I think is one of the things, whether they still hold meaning or whether you need to let them go. This is almost like the, the Cliff Notes version of it. And then really starting to look at what do you want to take forward with you? So how do you want that life to look like? And then looking at the, like the people and the places and the activities that you're doing, are they actually aligned to that definition of the word that you want for your future? So how do you start to make those little changes and, and bring them to life? And then setting a review date with yourself to kind of go, okay, well, if this year I've been really intentional on, say, working on health, I'm going to set a date in the future to come back and have a look. Is this still relevant for me? How, how am I actually going? And, you know, make those dates to check in on yourself and see how you're going and recognize that if you need to ask someone for help, ask for help. There is like, it's such an important thing to do. If you need to go and talk to a professional, go and talk to a counselor or a coach or something to help you with what you're working on. Find those people who can help you bring your definition to life. That's so wonderful. Do you recommend narrowing it to just one or two words that you're focusing on or do you recommend keeping it big or? So the way that I have set the book up is just work on one at a time but I know that people are very different and there are some who like to be a bit of an overachiever and go oh I'm going to do them all. So it's completely <laughs> up to the individual really on how you want to approach it. I talk about there being five to thrive but I feel all of humanity have in common and then it would and then on the flip side is picking out like those five that may resonate with you the most. So really checking in for resonance. So adventure is like is one of mine. There's been this running theme of it through my life. But for some people they won't have that. They may have creativity, which has been a, a big running theme through their lives. So it's around finding those words that resonate with you. And then whether you want to choose one and work on one, that's fine. And if you want to choose more than one, that's fine too. It's your life. It's just about working out it's within your capacity that grows you enough and doesn't burn you out. Okay. So find the words, one, five, somewhere in the realm. Yeah. And then yeah. figure out where they came from. Yeah. How you define them and how they fit your world right now and then checking yeah. in to see how they're still serving you instead of yeah. making sure they haven't gone sideways or you haven't lost track of them. That's right. Yeah. Wonderful. And if you need to have and if you need to have some conversations with people about them, like say if there's a, a family word or a relationship word, then finding the courage to kind of go, you know, what like what does this actually mean? to you like how have a conversation about this do we need to create our own like our own definition bringing this to the table and you're bringing this to the table so how do we find something that works for both of us it's very helpful thank you this is great and we can dig deeper into this by pre-ordering the book as well as checking out bell's tedx talk is your dictionary dead 
Links to all of this is in the show notes. Beautiful. Yes. So this has been lovely. Right. Thank you so much. You're a delight. I already really liked you, but I like you even more now. Yeah. Good. Same. Same, same. All right. Enjoy your summer. Before I let all of you go, I have our exciting announcement. Congratulations to Holly, Jenny, Terry, Leora, and Lois for winning copies of the first release from the Color of Gret adult coloring book series, Vintage Mermaid and Magnificent Ocean. Thank you to everyone who participated in our Color My Summer giveaway to celebrate the launch of this podcast. The grand prize winner of the $50 gift card is, drumroll, Terry. She has selected Zulily as her merchant, where she will be getting her self-care products. So we'll be sending her that gift card and supporting her self-care through whatever she might find there. We also learned that that drawing took place on her birthday, so she might have had a little extra birthday luck. We'll never know for sure. We posted the wheel spin on Instagram, so you can jump on over there at the.grit.show and offer her congrats as well as a birthday wish. If you are still hankering for some coloring pages, you can still join the mailing list and get your own free samples. Simple as that. More info is in the show notes or on our website, thegritshow.com. You can also always get your own copy of the coloring book, which is still at its introductory price of only $11.97. And on Amazon, you get free prime shipping. For all of you out there, we value you as part of our community. I'm going to keep on reminding you, you are the only one of you that this world has got. And that means something. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you got something valuable out of it.